Good morning. Welcome to Relevant Faith Church. It's so good to see your faces out there this morning. My name is Mike Wilmer. I'm the lead pastor here at Relevant Faith, and we are so glad you are here. Also, this morning, we're going to start a new series. It's just going to be a few weeks called Conversations with God. And so this series has been born out of a few different things and a few different thoughts and some things that God has been dealing with me personally on. And, um, and one of the things that I will do, and I did this a little bit this morning, and I'm going to do it, I did this with my, with my um, team this morning that we, we pray together in the mornings, and I'll, I'll echo a little bit of that again this morning, is um, this idea of conversations with God and seeking God in prayer is perhaps the most important thing that you have in your journey of faith. Let me, let me just, let me rephrase that actually. It is the absolute most important thing that you have in your journey of faith. It is more important than your worship, outwardly physically displayed worship. It is more important than even the, the systematic study of scripture. And, and I say that difficultly because I love the systematic study of scripture and theology. It's one of my favorite things about God is his word. But conversating with God, relating to God, and connecting with Him prayerfully is perhaps one of the most important things, if not the most important thing in your journey of faith. Because here's the reality. My love for God's Word and the theology that's in there and the study that I have devoted, I was not very good at that the first few years I was living my life for Christ. Matter of fact, I probably wasn't very good at it the first like eight years I was living my life with Christ. I would read the word, but not understand half of what I read, and, and it would just be a difficult journey. But prayer is something that instantaneously I can speak to God, and he hears me, and he listens, and he moves, and he acts on my behalf. And so my encouragement is that this becomes a passion and a part of your life, because here's the reality, and I shared a little bit of this. Corporately, one of the things that we have not done very well as a church and that I have not done very well as the pastor of this church is corporately gather together for times of worship and prayer outside of Sunday morning. And part of it is challenged by space, but that would just be an excuse because wherever there's a house, there's a place to pray and worship. And so the reality is it's just... It's not been a focal, focal point of mine personally, nor of the church corporately. And so that's something on the heels of this that you will be hearing some new things that we are going to be doing. And God, as God reveals them to me and I speak and we work through them as leadership in the church, you'll hear them more because there's some things that God has been speaking to my heart. I spent some time this morning with our leaders and people who volunteer and those who pray in the mornings repenting for being cavalier with the whole idea of prayer corporately. And it comes from a, a place where it's not been an important thing to me. And so, although it is important and I acknowledge that, I had not acted as that. So guess what I am? I'm human like you. <laughs> you know, I miss the mark sometimes. I make, I make some errors, but the good thing is I get to correct, we get to correct those errors. So it's interesting because this message was born inside of me before that conviction of God came on me. And so I kind of put it all together as this is a God thing. 
And we had a time of prayer this morning before church that it, God just was stirring up some things and messed up anything that anybody had planned, and, and it was just a powerful time of worship. And so what I want to do is I'm actually even going to start this differently, so Nick, don't freak out. You don't have this information back there. Um, but uh, I'm going to start this a little differently than I anticipated. I want to give you really quickly in the book of Acts, chapter 2, the, the idea of this the importance of prayer, not just personally, but corporately. And it's found in Acts chapter 2, verse number 42. The Bible says, All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. So there were four things in the New Testament church that the believers did that were, I would say, I don't want to go so far as to say the four most important things because there's several things that Luke talks about in the book of Acts that were very important to believers in, 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 in the book of Acts. And so, but the Acts church, one of the things that they did is they devoted themselves to the teaching of God's word. So it was something that that word devoted means that I have dedicated without ceasing my life to the teaching of God's word. But not just the teaching of God's word, but to fellowship, to breaking bread, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. Those are the four things in the book of Acts chapter 2 that the, 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 the first church, the first leaders of the church devoted themselves to. Basically saying, all these things are more important than anything else that's going on in my life. So I'm going to dedicate all of me to this. So what does that look like? That means I am dedicating my life to the Word of God, to the teaching of God's Word. I am dedicating my life to fellowship and breaking bread, to doing life together in a God-honoring way. That's what that means. And then the other part of that, the last part of that is I am going to dedicate myself to prayer, to having conversations with God. That devoted word literally means continual devotion without ceasing. So these are things that as believers, what are, because of our love for Christ, what we should be doing. And so to handle a portion of that, we're going to talk about conversations with God. And I'm going to talk to you about three different elements of prayer, and we're going to get to that in just a couple of minutes. But I remember when I was young in my faith, and I was a young believer, and I remember when I was faced with one of my first prayer meetings, where there we would come into the church and get into the sanctuary, and worship was playing, and it was an invitation to come and spend some time with the Lord in prayer, and I was on fire for God. I, my life had been, if you, if you haven't here, been here long enough to hear my story, but I, my life has been radically changed, and I, so I had this fire for God that was in me, and I was excited to go to prayer. And I walked into this prayer meeting, and I, sit, I remember sitting down and wondering, on our, what on earth do I have to say to God? I'm thinking, man, this is God. He turned my life upside down like that. He filled me with the Holy Spirit like that. And I'm like, what do I have to actually say to this guy that is, has any importance? And so it hits me, and I just begin 
The words begin to flow out of my mouth and I begin to pray for my, my family and my future wife and I begin to pray for all these people. I prayed for every single person in humanity, my friends, my family, my church, my community. I prayed for everything in the world that could possibly be prayed for. And then after those 10 minutes were finished, there was this awkward silence. Anybody ever had an awkward silence before? Or it's just quiet, no one really knows what to say, and you kind of want to remove yourself from the space, but there's really no way to do that. That's kind of how I felt. I'm like, mm, I don't know what to say now. I guess I'm done, so I'll just sit here. And, and today, if that happened, then my mind would be occupied with my cell phone and with Facebook and texting and all those other things, and so I could pass the time of prayer very easily because I've got technology to keep me busy. But then, it really wasn't a prevalent part of life, the cell phone. I mean, it was more functional than it was entertaining. Today, it's more entertaining than it is functional. And so, I sat there. Anybody ever been there before? Am I the only one who's had that awkward moment? I prayed for every single person on the planet, and then 10 minutes later, I'm done and don't know what else to say? And so, so then, fast forward to another prayer meeting. And I had not necessarily been making the right choices or decisions in my life at that point. I'd loving Jesus, but struggling with a few things, hiding a few things, kind of wearing a little bit of a mask in some situations and areas of my life. And much like everyone in this room at some point in time in your lives, if not, then I would tell you you're all liars. I'm not the only one who has done that. But um, I remember sitting there, and all of a sudden, prayer comes, and I begin to feel this weight of guilt because of the way I've been acting and the way I've been living. And so then I started to associate prayer with guilt. So now every time I come into the presence of God, I am scared to death that there's something wrong with me that he's going to take his big, gigantic, three-pound mall, uh, mall hammer and smash me on top of my head. That was then my next image of God in prayer. So how many of you think that I spent very much time praying at that point? Yeah, no, not at all. Because the last thing I wanted is to be condemned every time I went to God. So I would just do, you know, the good Christian thing to do on Sunday mornings. I'd worship and I would dance and I would celebrate and I would praise and I would shout hallelujah. And, and that's how I would live because after all, that felt really good. No, no prayer because I don't want to feel guilty. And so these are the, these are the things, and, and, and so Chuck Swindoll, who is a giant in faith, wrote a book, and in his book, he, this is what he read, this is what he, he wrote, and it just so honestly illustrated prayer for me in that season of my life, and he said, to be painfully honest with you, most of the stuff I've ever read or heard about prayer has either left me under a ton and a half truckload of guilt or wearied me with these pious-sounding phrases and meaningless God talk. Without trying to sound ultra-cynical, I've frequently walked away thinking, who needs it? And because I didn't spend two or three grueling hours on my knees in prayer, as some that I have come to know did, or because I failed to just say it the right way, whatever that means, or because I wasn't able to weave several scripture verses through my prayer, or because I had not been successful in moving mountains, I picked up this distinct impression that I was out 
to lunch when it came to this part of my Christian life. It seemed almost spooky, mystical, and dare I say, even a little superstitious. A lot of verbal mumbo jumbo laced with secret jargon that some people had and others did not. And I definitely did not. And this was a giant in faith. And as he describes prayer in his early walk with Christ. And so my guess is that some of you can relate to the way he feel, felt or the way I felt. But here's one thing I want you to understand as I came to understand. God did not create prayer simply so that you would feel guilty. God also did not create prayer just simply so you could pray for 10 minutes and then say, check, I checked it off my box. I, I checked the box on my to-do list. He actually created this idea of conversation with him so that he can become intimately yours and you can become intimately his, where he can know everything about you. See, that sounds contradictory, contradictory to what the scripture says when it says that God knows me, he created me, that the hairs of my head were numbered, that he knew me in the womb before I was formed, that he predestined me and he had a plan for me and, and I could go on and on and on and on and on. But yet there's one passage of scripture that then would confuse that whole thing. When we look at Matthew chapter 7, he says, depart from me for I never knew you. So it's kind of like a head scratcher. And so knowing God and God knowing you is not just in a creative sense. It's actually in an intimate sense. In order for him to know you, you have to be able to converse with him, to communicate with him, have a conversation if you will, with God. It sounds crazy because people think God doesn't speak back, but the reality is he does. The problem is we're too busy running our lips to actually hear what he wants to say. And so there's this whole mystical thing about prayer that my hope over the next few weeks is to demystify this idea of conversation with God. So when we look at Jesus and when he came to earth, he was constantly sharing these radical revolutionary ideas when it came to God. He exploded and blew up every myth that there was about prayer. I mean, there was this, there was this place in the Old Testament that you would hear about. It was the Holy of Holies and that only the Levitical priests could go into this place because otherwise the rest would be struck dead. And Jesus came and literally destroyed, <laughs> destroyed what would be thousands of years of teaching. He just destroyed it all. And so and upon his death, we, we read that the veil was torn and now access to God through Christ was possible on a minute-to-minute, second-to-second basis, not just with the Levitical priest going before us. And he taught us that prayer was not necessarily just a guilt producer, but it is an anxiety reliever. Anxiety is one of these struggles that has become more and more and more prevalent in our society. And it's not because of all of a sudden there's these disorders that let's put a name to everything. Because there are some serious issues and some serious challenges when it comes to that. But most anxiety is formed out of our own fear and worry and lack of control. I can't control this situation. So rather than saying, eh, God, you're in control. We have to try to figure out how do I control it? How do I manipulate it? How do I do that? Instead of just saying, God, you know what? And, and this, is, this is how I'm going to talk to you is how I speak to God. So if you think I'm irreverent, I'm sorry. 
but I have a conversation with God. And I say, God, you know what? I'm not a big fan of you right now. I've got this and this and this, and this is a conversation that God and I had over a specific instance involving my oldest daughter several years ago with a diagnosis of type 1 diabetes. I sat in her hospital room, and I said, God, you know what? I'm not your biggest fan right now. I don't understand this. I serve you, and I go there, and this is what happens, and I'm just not cool with that. So if I'm not cool with that, I guess I'm not really cool with you. Mind you, I'm pastoring in this moment, and so I'm like, eh. But after I got over myself, because that's really what it was, it was my own little pity party, and after I got over myself, I said, God, you're in control of this. This is outside of my hands, outside of my control, outside of my purview, outside of my understanding, and even my ability to understand, so I'm just going to let you have it, because I got enough to worry about. And as a matter of fact, then the day next day, I said, you know what? I really don't even want to worry about the enough that I have to worry about. So God, I'm just going to let you have all of this. And whatever happens, happens. And, and, and I say that, and people say, oh, that's all well said. And it, that's, but that's the reality of conversing with God. You have that ability to just tell God, hey, God, I'm seriously done with this. Can you just take it? Same way I talk to my wife. I'm like, honey, I'm just done. Can you take, do something with this? That's how I talk to God. God, I'm just done. Can you do something with this? But we, Jesus' whole part of his purpose is to be an anxiety reliever. He said, what? Cast your cares upon the Lord. Right? By worrying, you gain nothing. As a matter of fact, statistically, 88% of everything you worry about is never going to come to pass anyway. And of everything that does, of the 12% that's left that comes to pass, you have control of exactly 2.4% of that. So basically, we worry about nothing. Not necessarily nothing in its context, but nothing that we have control over. I can't worry about that. I got no control over that situation. And prayer is what relieves that anxiety. It's not this dreaded obligation that I have to check off in a box. It's this wonderful privilege that I have. I mean, if we could, here's what I would love to do. I would love to be able to trans, transfer our church right now into a biblical Old Testament day where we just get to watch what prayer looked like. It was so crazy that the average person had no access to God that way. Yet we have this wonderful privilege and we will do everything but have a conversation with God. And so today my goal is that you will throw out every idea that you've ever had about prayer. Prayer is not reciting Christian phrases and saying fancy religious things, although there is a beauty in liturgical prayer. There's some liturgy that is so beautifully written that sometimes I do, I find myself praying some liturgical things, but not out of repetition and obligation, but out of the beauty of what's being said. Prayer is not about sitting in a circle holding hands, although it's not necessarily a bad thing to do. It's about him hearing us and us hearing him. That's what prayer is. That's what conversation is about. When you sit down and have a conversation with somebody, you want them to hear you, right? And they want you to hear them, right? It's a two-way street of conversation. The same thing works with God. He wants to hear you, and he wants you to hear him. It's about his, the spirit of God connecting with our spirit. 
It's heart-to-heart conversation. It's the same types of conversation that I had with him in the hospital room so many years ago when I was just like, I'm not your fan right now. And I've had people tell me, no, you're horrible that you said that. And I was like, okay. Good thing you're not my judge. Because the reality is that was the flesh of how I was feeling. And so that's how, I con- that's how I conversate. And with my wife, it's the same thing. When I'm frustrated about something, I share it with her the same way. That's what God desires. He desires these heart-to-heart communications. If you look at the book of Deuteronomy, the last half of chapter, of verse number, of chapter 8, verse number 3, he said he, there's this whole lit- litany of things that he was talking about. But he said, he did it to teach you that people do not live by bread alone. Rather, we live by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. So there is a way and a time that God is speaking. His written word and his spoken word. Jesus describes it this way in John chapter 10 verse 4. He says, after he has gathered his own flock, he walks ahead of them and they follow him. Why do they follow him? Because they know his voice. See, that's part of the challenge that we have in this this society of believers today is they follow after this fictional God in their mind. And the reason why he's fictional is because they don't know his voice. They're swayed with the wind. They're, oh, God's calling me to do this, so let me come over here. God's calling me to do this, so let me go over here. God's calling me, and God's always calling. But the reality is he's calling their number, but they're, they're picking up and no one's on the other line. It's like, oh, this will make me feel good, so let me go here. Let me tell you something. If everything that you hear from God is so that you will feel good, let me tell you, and I'll be real with you, you're not hearing from God. I hate to sound judgmental but, and hate to sound like I know it all because I don't know it, but what I do know is everything I've ever done for, for God that includes anything done, any kind of greatness has not been comfortable, has not felt really good. Until I've actually then done it. And it's like, oh, wow. This is pretty awesome. But in the midst of it, it's like, this is not going to plan. Planting this church did not go to plan. It's still not going to plan. Having a family did not go to plan. I had a plan. My plan got interrupted. Everything that you do for God is not going to bring you comfort. That's why knowing his voice is critical. And the only way to truly know his voice is to have a lifestyle of prayer. Wouldn't it be awesome to have that kind of relationship with Christ that you know his voice? It's like he speaks and it's like, oh, I hear you. And then you just, it's, it's just a beautiful thing. I, I, I wish it was every day of my life that way. And I think some days it really is and other days it's, I'm hearing my own voice, and last thing I need to be doing is answering the voices in my head. We could have all kinds of problems then. Here's the secret, though. A lifestyle of prayer is not made on Sunday. A lifestyle of prayer is what you do every other day of the week. John chapter 15, verses 4 and 5 says this. He says, remain in me, and I will remain in you. For a branch cannot produce fruit if it is severed from the vine, and you cannot be fruitful unless you remain in me. Jesus says, yes, I am the vine, you are the branches. Those who remain in me and I, and I in them will produce much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. That's pretty serious language. Apart from Christ, you can do nothing. Yeah, you may accomplish some things. 
You may have some success, but everything that you are devoting your time and energy and effort to is very temporal at best. Here's the question. Self-evaluation time. Are we ready? What are you doing that has eternal significance? No one's ready for self-evaluation. I know. I'm not a big fan of it either sometimes. But what are you doing that has eternal significance? I don't care, and this is, this is, some of you are going to be shocked by this. I don't care about your athleticism. I don't care about your sports. I don't care about your arts. I don't care about all these things. You can glorify God in all of those things, and that's fantastic. But those things are temporal. When you die, no one's going to remember how many home runs you hit or how many interceptions you had or touchdowns you scored or how many plays that you wrote or any of those other things or how many songs that you sung. No one's going to remember those things because they're temporal. What are you doing of eternal significance? That's what remaining in Christ gets you. When you are fellowshipping with him and you're conversing with him on a daily basis, you get to these these outer world spiritually impacting places. And I don't know about you, but the last thing I want written on any memorial that may memorialize my life is that I preached or that I led or that I grew a church or that I did any of those things, rather that I brought people into the kingdom of God with me. That's my, that's my desire. But the only way to make that happen is to remain in Christ. Smith Wigglesworth, who was a great evangelist from England, he, he, he operated in miracles that are just insane. He said, I never pray more than 20 minutes. But I never go more than 20 minutes without praying. Think of, let that sit, sit in for a second. I never pray more than 20 minutes but I never go more than 20 minutes without praying. It's a lifestyle. It's a continual. The Bible says to pray without what? Ceasing. It doesn't mean you walk around praying all the time because you know what? There is a call to the marketplace. When he, when he gave his initial call to the disciples, he said, go into the world. That was as you are going, as you are living, as you are working, as you are doing life, teach about the Lord, make disciples, baptize, those things. That, that, that's the command. The great commandment. And that's what, he, that's what he said to do. But he also said to pray without ceasing. Why is that? Because there's a lifestyle of prayer. A lifestyle that's open to God that I hear from him daily. People come into my circle and if I'm so focused on my work that I don't hear from God, I can't minister to this person that's in need. That's what remaining in Christ is. That's what conversations with God is. So how can we make prayer a lifestyle? Those lights flickering? Okay, just making sure it's not me. How can I make prayer a lifestyle? It's very practical. Number one, make time. Make a daily appointment with God and make it a priority. Here's the question I have for you. How many of you, you got how many of you would 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 live where you live? Do what you do, have all the fun and all the enjoyment that you have in life if you were late to work every day. You probably wouldn't have what? You probably wouldn't have a job. But we don't make time for God. We make time for work. But we don't make time for God. So make time. Daniel actually said in the book of Daniel, it's written like this, chapter 6, verse 10. But when Daniel learned that the law had been signed, he went home and knelt down as usual in his upstairs room. So you would think, okay, well, David had a space and he would, that's where he would go pray. So something bad, just significantly bad just happened. So he's going to go and pray. But look what it continues to say. 
knelt down as usual in his upstairs room with his windows open towards Jerusalem. He prayed three times a day, just as, ha- as, just as he had always done, giving thanks to God. He always made time. So when something stressful came, he didn't have to do something outside of his character. He didn't have to reach out to God outside of his normal routine. He just said, oh, it's time for me to pray. And he would go to where he would normally play. And he would go and pray as often as he would normally pray. He made a dedicated time to have a lifestyle of prayer so that when the weight of the world, because if you know the story in the book of Daniel right here, you'll understand that they said nobody can worship anybody but the king. That's a destructive moment of his life because he's a man of God. And if I worship God and not the king, I'm going to be killed. So he said, I got to pray. And he went and did what he was usually doing in the place that he was usually doing it. And at a time when he was always found to be doing it. He didn't panic. He didn't, oh my God, my life is crushing before my eyes. I need to find a place to pray or a time to pray. He already had it. My encouragement, pray in the morning. Because let me tell you something, by the afternoon and the evening... Most of us are tired from a day's work or a day of raising children or a day of what we're doing, day of school if you're a teenager. You're tired. Your time with God is minimal if ever. But first thing in the morning, there's a lot to be said about first thing in the morning. And you may not be a morning person, but let God make you one. They don't like me at my job. Because I walk in and I'm like, good morning. And they're like, oh my gosh, it's too early for you. I wake up every day like it was on purpose because it was and I have a purpose. And so I try and I don't always get this right, but I try to spend a few minutes with God in the morning giving God. It's, it's this whole you can read about this. True. It's this whole tithing principle. This whole tithing principle is not just connected to money, but the first fruits principle. It's the first fruits of my day giving to God it helps make my day a whole lot better than when it started or how it would be without him. So dedicate a time, dedicate a place, find an undistracted environment, no computers, no phones, put it away, turn it off, something. Seriously, that they, because the problem is that we are so distracted by our lives and our lives are wrapped up in this little box that always has access to the internet, so we always have access to our lives, and we always have access. Oh, check it out. Oh, you know what? This person checked in at Relevant Faith Church this morning. That is super cool. Wait, oh, you're I'm preaching. Hold on. That's what we do. We get distracted, so put it away. And I am, like I tell you, I preach first to myself, then to you. I am a technology junkie, and I need to put my phone away more often, and I'm working on that, but especially when I'm trying to have a conversation with God. Mark chapter 1 verse 35 says, before daybreak the next morning, Jesus got up and went out to an isolated place to pray. He said, I'm going somewhere where I can be alone and away from the distractions of what my life looks like so I can be with God. And if Jesus made it a point to go to an isolated place, we should do the same thing. Let me tell you, you got little kids, it's okay. Whatever they wreck in the house, you got time to clean it. It's okay. Just be alone with him. 
I would even go so far as to pay a babysitter an hour to do something with your kids so you can pray. It's worth the investment. So you have a time, you have a place, and you need a plan. You need a plan. A plan will give you several options to when you can pray and how you can pray because you look at your schedule. It's not about I got to do this and I got to do that. And I guess it's, okay, I have to pray. How do I figure out the rest of this? So I have to pray. How do I figure out my work? I have to pray. How do I figure out my personal life? I have to pray. How do I figure out my kids? I have to, you see what I'm saying? We do it the other way around. I have to work. I have my kids. I have personal. I have fun. I have all these things. Now, how can I pray? And that's the problem. We don't give God the place and we don't have a real plan. And then on top of that, what are you, what is your plan for when you actually have this, this, this place with God and now you're in this presence of God and you're, okay, what's your plan? What are you going to say? Because you know what? You can pray for the world in five minutes and be done. So what is your plan? What is your process? There are tons of them. I'm not going to go into de- depth about, the, about one, but I'll give you one really quickly. This is one I actually enjoy using. It's the, it's the Lord's Prayer. The Lord's Prayer, contrary to pop, what may be popular opinion, was not a prayer meant for recitation. It wasn't meant to just be, pre- to re- be recited. It was meant to be lived and encountered. Listen to him. He, his disciple, first of all, it was a response. It was from his disciples, teach us to pray. How do we pray, Jesus? We want to pray. How do we pray? He didn't say, okay, recite this. He said, this is how you, when he said, how you pray, this is how you pray. Once Jesus was in a certain place praying, and as he finished, one of his disciples came to him and said, Lord, teach us to pray. Luke 11, 1 through 4. Just as John taught his disciples, Jesus said, this is how you should pray. This is how you should pray. The word pray is convert, converse with God. Not recite, but converse with God. And this is what he says, Father, and this is the New, New Living Translation version, so it may sound a little bit different from what you're used to. Father, may your name be kept holy. May your kingdom come soon. Give us each day the food we need and forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. And don't let us yield to temptation. That's a pretty good prayer when you break it down. When you break it down and you come into the presence of God and declare how holy he is and you can stand there and say, God, you are holy. You can take 15, 20 minutes just, speak, just praising God for his holiness and his righteousness and thanking and all those things. And then he says, then he says may your kingdom come soon. God, I just want to be ready. I want to be able to impact the world for your glory. I want people to come with me when you come back to this earth. Give us this day the food we need. Guess you know what that means? Dude, I am broke and got to pay the bills. Give us this day our daily bread. The food of God is the word of God. And in the word of God, he says, cast your cares because he is the provider of all things, right? So God it goes back to my conversation with God about the cattle. Remember that conversation? God, you own the cattle on a thousand hills. Sell one of them so I can pay my mortgage. It's that kind of conversation because it's the daily bread that he gives you. Forgive us my sins. Oh my gosh, if that's not part of your everyday language, then you're missing it. And forgive those who sin against us. <sighs> mm, pastor, you were doing so good until you got to that point. And I don't want to forgive nobody. They hurt me, they broke me, they robbed me, they cheated me, they stole from me, they this, they this, they this, they that. But it's part of his prayer. Forgive those who sin against you. He takes that to a whole nother deeper level in a message that I'm not ready to preach this morning. But if you can't forgive somebody, 
something about not being able to be forgiven, and that's not a cool place to live. And then notice, not yield to temptation. Man, God, I don't want to, te- I don't want to sin. I don't want to just do whatever I want to do with whoever I want to do it with. God, would you just help me? Will you, will you help me? Will you guard my heart? Will you guard my eyes? Will you guard my mind? Will you, are you getting the point? There's a process to this, and there's a plan. So I want to share with you three elements of prayer. So that's practically how to live a lifestyle of prayer. I want to share with you three powerful elements of prayer as we wrap this up. And this morning, we're going to close our time of worship with communion because communion is an avenue of praying. It's an avenue of seeking God and hearing from God. So three elements of prayer I want to give you. And as, as, as we prepare ourselves to receive communion this morning, I want to share with you these three elements. Here's what you have to understand about God. God is so vast. He is so great. He's such a big God. He's such a good God. And and here's what you have to understand about God. And this is a biblical precedent. And it may not necessarily be shared by everyone in the room. And we can have a dialogue outside of this room one day if you'd like to have a dialogue about this. But God exists in three unique persons with three unique roles. He is God the Father, He is God the Son, and He is God the Holy Spirit. And if you need a little bit of context for that, this 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse number 14, the Bible says, May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. The Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. Same but different roles. Same but different roles. And also have a different role in your prayer life. And this is the passage of scripture I'm going to give you to give you three elements of prayer. And I'm going to give it to you out of the message version of that same passage of scripture. Because the message version makes it very, I I just love how it's said. So I'm going to give it to you out of the message version. It says, the amazing grace of the master Jesus Christ the extravagant love of God and the intimate friendship of the Holy Spirit will be with all of you. The amazing grace of the master, of Jesus Christ, the extravagant love of God and the intimate friendship of the Holy Spirit be with all of you. So the first element to this prayer and to living a life of prayer and having a conversation with God is understanding the amazing grace of Jesus. The amazing grace of of Jesus. First thing we should do when we pray is connect with Jesus as our Savior. Wow, God, you saved me. Where on, oh my, I don't even want to think about where I would be without him. Where would some of you be without Christ? If he had never come and invaded your life and invaded your heart, where would you be? Some of you would be dead. Some of you would be in prison. Some of you would be broken, homeless. Some of you would be all over the place. Lost. All of us lost without the grace of Christ. So connect with him. Focus on the cross. The cross is the place you come to first. Matter of fact, the Old Testament in the tabernacle, in a tabernacle prayer, you had to go to this place called the brazen altar first. You had to get to this place first. This was your first stop in your quest of prayer to the presence of God. You have to go there first. It's the, it's the, it's the New Testament cross where you, had to give, you have to go to the cross first. This is Jesus' role, to give you grace. 
Why is this his role? Because it's what he does. It's who he is. Because he is the one who felt what you felt. He is the one who that day, that faithful day when he spread his arms on the cross at Calvary and died, he suffered and died for not only your sin that day, but he suffered and died for every sin that you would ever commit, including the ones 20, 30, 40, 50 years from now that you don't even know of. That's what he suffered and died for. He suffered and died for people who would never believe in him. You know, some people get, some people take up the cause of Christ and say, you know, if Jesus was here, this person, yeah, you know what he would say? I love you. Let's have lunch. That's what he would say. We want to take up this vengeance call of, the, the vengeance cause of Christ and condemn everyone who doesn't think like us or believe like us or look like us or anything else. It's like, oh, well, that person, that's just a, that's just a prostitute. That person, not that person's just a, that person's chilling in the bar and the strip clubs and they just, oh, uh, that person, that person wore a hat in church. Woo. Man, they drank coffee in church. He's wearing jeans in church. Come around here in April, I'll wear an Orioles jersey and a ball cap in church. Man, it's just, we do this thing. It's just, we condemn the world, but fail to realize that the whole point of the cross was to love the world and embrace every last one of them. That's the role of Jesus. He can give you grace for anything that you've been through. Matter of fact, Hebrews chapter 4, verses 15 and 16, the Bible says, This high priest of ours understands our weaknesses, for he faced all the same testings we do. See, we face a devil who is very real, but not very face-to-face present. Jesus faced him face-to-face. Jesus looked him dead in the eyes and did battle with the devil. We just, got, we just look at him in peripherals and the people that he sends into our lives and the situations he allows to happen. Jesus faced him. So I would suggest that Jesus faced a much difficult test than we do. And so, yet he did not sin, the Bible says. And then verse 16, so let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. There we will receive his mercy and we will find grace to help us when we need it most. It's Hebrews. It's the word of God. It's without error. So it's fully truth. And so he says, you can boldly come to the throne of God. Not like, God, you know, if it be your will. (laughs) Come on now. Let me tell you, you already know the will of God because he spoke it. With every promise, there yes and amen. That's the boldness that we should go to the throne of God. Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9, each time he said, my grace is all you need. My power works best in weakness. He was talking about what? The thorn in his flesh, the problem, the one challenge and struggle that he had continuously that he couldn't let go of. We all have it. There's something that we all have that this, there's this thorn and we just can't let go of. And, and, and what, did, what, did he, what did God say? My grace is all you need. My grace is sufficient. My power works best in your weakness. But we want to stand strong. I'm a strong man. I can handle this. I can handle mine. No, you can't. And you're not going to ever be able to until you can boast about your weakness, like Paul said. So we need to understand the amazing grace of Jesus. Number two, we need to understand the extravagant love of the Father. The extravagant love of the Father. I love the way that's, said, that's spoken and that's written in the, in the message version. Because after the cross... We connect with God as a father. The focus is on worship and submission. The approach 
is to the Father is with our worship. Jesus, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. That's, the, that's going back to Jesus' teaching on prayer. Hallowed be your name. Father in heaven. We sing, good, good Father. Some of us have recollections of what bad, bad Father looks like. And so we have this ability to connect with a God who's a Father. And what does a Father do? What does a good Father do? When their son or their daughter is suffering, they just watch them. Stupid. That's your dumb decision anyway. I'm just going to watch you suffer. No. A good dad rushes to their side and embraces them and picks them up, dusts them off, and says, you can do it. That's what a good father does. And if your father didn't do that, I'm sorry. He wasn't a good father. But the reality is you have the connection with the good father, the, fa- the extravagant love of God. There's an old song sung by Daryl Evans. It's called Your Love is Extravagant. I love it because it just, it just, it's just this beautiful song on the love of God and the love of the father. It was so beautiful, it became my wife and I's first dance at our wedding. And it just was this, oh, I just, I can't even listen to it. It's old, but man, it's so beautiful. Ephesians chapter 3 verse 14 says, when I think of all this, I fall to my knees and pray to the Father. There's specifics. Look through scripture. There's specific references of praying to Father, praying to Jesus, praying to the Holy Spirit. They're all referenced because they're all one with three unique roles. And it doesn't mean when he says, when I think of this, I fall to my knees and pray. It doesn't mean that I crawl in a lowly state and said, I come and sit at his feet. Come and sit at his feet. You know, some of the greatest moments of, 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 that fulfill my heart the most today is when I come home after working and not seeing my kids. And the first thing that they do is they come up and hug me and kiss me. My youngest daughter has this little chicken peck thing going on right now where she, and I'm just like, I love it. Keep doing it, you know. It's because it's, they're my children. And they embrace that. And, and it's a father is someone we both have love and respect for. You know, you can't just, oh, I love God, but I disrespect him when I live the way I live. No, I love God, but I disrespect him when I speak. There's no disrespecting the father. I, I've been, I had a dad. I have a dad. And my dad didn't take kindly to disrespect. I would find myself picking myself up off the floor. If I disrespected my dad. Nowadays, that gets people in trouble. A whole nother issue. Not going to go on that rant. But I, I would p- have to pick myself up off the floor if I disrespected my dad. So let me tell you, the last thing I would stand in front of my dad and do is say, no. Woo-hoo. Get tore up. The belt. Come out. Because there's this, there's this awe and this respect and this love all together. In the Hebrew culture, children would always kneel at their father for their father to bless them. That's the respect in the, in the Hebrew culture. And that's where Jesus came from. That's the respect. As a matter of fact, when you read the story about Esau, Jacob, the stolen birthright, what did they do? They came to their father's bed and they did what? They kneeled. Because there's this awe and respect. 
Matter of fact, Psalm 103, one of my favorite psalms, in verses 8 through 13, says, The Lord is compassionate and merciful, slow to get angry and filled with unfailing love. He will not constantly accuse us nor remain angry forever. He does not punish us for all our sins. He does not deal harshly with us as we deserve. For his unfailing love toward those who fear him is as great as the height of the heavens above. Come on, and that's good preaching. It's just the word of God. He has removed our sins as far from us as the east is from the west. The Lord is like a father to his children, tender and compassionate to those who fear him, to those who respect him and stand in awe of his glory. The last thing is this, and our worship team can come and get set as we're going to prepare ourselves for communion. See, so many people struggle to see God that way as a father, mostly because of poor relationships with their own father. You know, so you got to connect with the grace of Jesus. He's been there. He's done that. you got to connect with the love of the Father. And the last one I'm going to share with you this morning as I begin to wrap up is this intimate friendship with the Holy Spirit. This intimate friendship with the Holy Spirit. Here's the reality. God the Father was active in creation. And he is active as the loving Father. Jesus was active as the manifestation of God in the flesh, and he did miraculous things and lived this perfect life and did this three years of ministry that turned the world upside down and changed everything. But when he died and he went to heaven and he's seated at the right hand of the Father making intercession with us, he said, I will send one in my place. I will send the advocate. I will send the Holy Spirit Matter of fact, John chapter 14, verses 16 to 17, and I will ask the Father, Jesus' words, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate who will never leave you. Because Jesus was the advocate on this earth, but he did what? He left the earth. When he died and ascended into heaven, he left the earth. He did not abandon us because he sent the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is said to will never leave us. Matter of fact, the word that he's talking when he says, I will send you the another advocate is the Greek word parakletos. And it literally means called to be by one side for eternity. The Holy Spirit is called to be by your side for as long as you breathe air on this earth. And he's there. He is there for as long as you breathe air on this earth. The Holy Spirit is your side man. He's like, I got this. That's why, that's why foolish people can step into prisons that they once lived in all there for many years and then preach the gospel because they're foolish. Why are they foolish? Because they have the Holy Ghost walking with them. People can plant churches. Why? Because the Holy Spirit has not left them. People can stand up here and worship God with, with their talents and abilities. Why? Because the Holy Spirit has not left him. There is a fellowship with the Holy Spirit that you have to connect with if you want to have these life-giving, life-altering, life-changing conversations with God. You have to connect with him. This is not just Pentecostal mumbo-jumbo and jargon. This is biblical truth. You have to connect, and you have to connect through the Holy Spirit. Isaiah chapter 40, verse 31, this is a whole one. This is a popular passage of scripture. He says, but those who trust in the Lord will find new strength. They will soar high on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not faint. All of that, all of that is a picturesque moment of what the Holy Spirit does. 
The Holy Spirit is the wind. It's referenced in all of scripture that he is the wind. How does the eagle stay up? Because the eagle's not a flapping bird. It's a whoom, and it goes. They don't have to flap their bird like seagulls, the rats of the air. They got to flap like crazy to get where they're going. They got to work so hard, but an eagle just whoom, and gone. That's the Holy Ghost. That is the depiction of the Holy Spirit in today's world. The Spirit of God is the wind. I hate to sound like Bette Midler, but it's the wind beneath your wings. That's the Holy Spirit. That's his operation and functioning in your life. That's why that's my favorite passage of scripture in all of the word that I can, no matter what goes on in my life, I can mount up with wings and I can fly. Man, but that only happens in the context of a relationship with the Holy Spirit. can't do it without him you can't do it without connecting with jesus through his grace you can't do it without connecting with through the father and his extravagant love and you cannot do it without having a friendship and an intimate friendship it's not just like oh yeah we know each other we play ball together no 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 this is an intimate i know you you know me i hear you you hear me relationship with the holy spirit so how do we hear from this Holy Spirit. Let me just tell you, it's real easy. This might be the most practical thing I say all my life. And it's going to sound so immensely rude. And I apologize for that. Shut up. Seriously, just listen. You approach the presence of God. You come into the presence of God. You've glorified him. You've praised him. You've thanked him for being your savior. You've embraced him as father. Now, you know what? Just listen. Put the phone away. Put life away and just listen to God speak to you through his Holy Spirit. That's his job. He can't be the comforter. He can't be the advocate. He can't be the leader and the guider of your life if you're talking too much. I know you're facing some struggles. You're facing the end of relationships. You're facing struggling times. You're facing broke down times. You're struggling and you're broken. And, and, and we want to talk about that because we feel like talking about it is helpful and cathartic and it is in the right context. But sometimes you just need to be quiet. Sometimes you just need to rest in the presence of God and God so God can tell you, hey, if you'll just stop talking, I'm talking to you. Will you just stop talking for five minutes so that I can tell you that I love you? So that I can tell you that it's going to be okay. So I can tell you that you will make it. No weapon formed against you shall ever prosper, he said. But you can't hear that if all we're doing is this. And I'm sorry I just yelled at you for five minutes. I'm a little bit emphatic about this relationship thing 